Well, it's interesting how easy it was to voice an opinion on roller coasters, really, wasn't it? And of course, in the words of Ronan Keating, that great philosopher, life is indeed a roller coaster, the leading of, of Boyzone. Well, uh, I'm one of those who falls into the camp of not liking roller coasters at all. Hate roller coasters, really can't stomach that at all. Uh, along with quiche, I can't stomach that either. And I guess quiche before a roller coaster would be my definition of hell, to be quite frank. But anyway, we're thinking about life being a little bit of a roller coaster. And if you've been journeying with us through this book of Joshua, One of the things that you pick up time and time again is this great sense of faith that then is suddenly no faith at all. And following God and that's the right thing to do and then blowing it again. And and this was God's people, this was God's leaders. That kind of up and downness of faith. We don't know anything about that, do we? Come on, let's be real. Anybody identify with that? In their own life? Yeah, straight up, hand straight up. We know the reality of that up and downness. And there's something of a comfort, I think, therefore, when we come to, yes, we don't get the names, we might struggle with the places or what was fully going on, particularly if we've not been here for the last few weeks, but we get this whole thing of life is a roller coaster. There's ups and there's downs. Setting a little bit of the context here. Being very alarmed over the news of the victories of God's people, as at Jericho and Ai, and hearing uh, of the Gibeonites' covenant with Israel. Um, one of the kings of the south, Adonai Zedek, which ironically means Lord of Righteousness, gathered the other kings of that region together to attack Gibeon. The Gibeons, Gibeonites were then now really afraid. So they turned to God's people, the Israelites, to join them. When we fear the worst, what we then want is for people to be on our side. That's kind of true politically. We won't uh, venture forth. In that, but we kind of know the way that, that sort of thing works. Joshua, of course, could have thought, oh, well, that's a useful uh, opportunity to be rid of these Gideonites with all that horrendous lifestyle uh, that they had. But he made a covenant before God about uh, being in partnership with this group. And he intended to keep that to one of that. He also saw maybe that with the Gibeonites, uh, that with him, that they maybe had a stronger chance to actually defeat the entire whole coalition. God confirms that he will then give them into his hands. And when God speaks, the rest really doesn't uh, matter at all. That pales into insignificance. Victory is assured. Yay! But that doesn't mean to say it's going to be plain sailing in the journey. And that's where we can kind of like understand the picture that's going on. Where we're looking back to God's word about what happened there then, which was true. This stuff really occurred, I believe. But this is God's word, not just a history book. So we need to be asking ourselves, what was it that was going on then? And what does that mean as his living word for us today? Victory is assured if you are a Christian. But it doesn't mean to say that life is then going to be plain sailing. There are ups, there are downs. As a Christian, we talk a lot about uh, victory. Or we sing uh, songs. We used to sing a song, Jesus, we celebrate your victory. And then when we don't kind of feel in that victory mode or stuff goes wrong, well, what about the victory thing? There's kind of like a bit of a a contradiction in terms sometimes in how we can uh, behave or respond to that. We forget, don't we? We are on the victory side. But it's not yet fully uh, secure because we're still here. We've still got stuff to deal with. We've still got a whole host of issues going on. I'd been here probably about three minutes and somebody was, was sharing some of the stuff going on in their world. Tough stuff that's going on. Life 
is indeed a roller coaster. Back to the account in Joshua. Joshua and his men marched all night, which was around about 25 miles, all uphill, that was some 4,000 uh, feet, over steep and difficult terrain. That was a terrain. That was, they were tired, and they would have needed God's help and strength. God then sent hailstones that killed even more uh, of the enemy of Joshua. And you can read of that account. One commentator said these words, which I thought was really helpful. He said, there are occasions when we can do nothing but wait for God to act. But usually we are to do our part with dependence upon God to do his. Here we've got man's efforts and God's intervention coming together. But the emphasis is on the fact that it's God. It's the Lord who gave the victory. Sometimes there's a danger of of extremes, isn't there? We think probably the one that we're more akin to developing is that sense of, I've got to do this, I've got to solve it, I've got to go, oh dear God, would you, and then we get, so it's kind of like a chucked in prayer, but predominantly, we're kind of an independent people, and we seek to sort of beaver away, to work these things out in our own way, and dare I say it, strength as well. Or of course we can just sit with our, Backside on a chair and say, oh God, I'm waiting upon you. It's so very spiritual. And there are times that's the right thing to do, but not to then not do anything at all. As the people of God, we're always called to be proactive, even in that time of waiting upon him. Some of us, the waiting is the hard part, isn't it? Maybe waiting for him to speak. Maybe waiting for breakthrough. Maybe waiting for a change of your own circumstantial situation that you're facing right now. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, said this in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 29. I work and I struggle using Christ's strength that works so powerfully in me. That sense of, I've got to give this 100% as if it's all down to me. And yet... I know that there's a sense of which I'm lacking. I have to draw on not my own strength and wisdom, but the one who has given me his precious Holy Spirit. And the two in partnership are going to achieve most of all. Verse 42. We read that the Lord was fighting for Israel. Great verse with preceding chapter. With God, victory is assured. But what happened in those uh, in-between chapters? Jack looked uh, last week with us with that difficult passage in chapter 10. What happened then in between chapter 10 and what we've just had read out to us in chapter 14? So I think that's important to just scan over very quickly. Just by way of summary, chapter 11 sees the working out of the numerous battles and basically Joshua destroying anyone and anything in his path. Nothing is too big. God. We're going to examine the scale of the enemy and unpack that and a little bit of the history and the context of that this evening. Dun, 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 at six o'clock if you're able to come along. But there are spiritual lessons even within that. Verse nine, we read that Joshua did as the Lord directed in chapter 11. Joshua did as the Lord directed. We were meeting here on Tuesday evening to think about how we ought to be, how we can become more effective in making ourselves known. And of course, there was a frenzy of activity in groups. We could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could do that. Where were all those ideas, however positive they were coming from? What we need to discern, isn't it, as all those sheets are collected, collated, is that sense of us doing that which as the Lord 
directed. Do pray for us as we collate what God was maybe saying through his people, that we'd be able to discern the good ideas from the God ideas. There's probably about 60 ideas. Can't do all 60, but there may well be three or five. I don't know. I've not seen the sheets. That may well be as the Lord is directing. That's what we want to know, isn't it? Thank you. That's what we want to know, isn't it? That's what I want to know. Oh, woke me up there. That's good. Joshua did as the Lord directed. Chapter 11, verse 9. The result was complete victory for the Lord and complete devastation and destruction of the enemy. We read that Joshua waged war for a long time. I don't know how you view a long time. We've just got it kind of rattled off here uh, in the pages of Scripture, but it was probably six or seven years. Six or seven years. We can maybe read that something is going on here and think, oh, they got it instant. Why isn't it like that for me? No, six or seven years. That is a long time to be being in battle. Maybe the issue that you're battling with or against has been even longer. This battle that we are in can seem so long, can't it? And at times often painful or fruitless. But God's word tells us that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Chapter 12, we see a long list of those places and kings that Joshua defeated. Uh, So be grateful, Val, that you didn't have that chapter uh, to read. That would have been uh, even more uh, difficult. It's a great Bible reading test uh, passage if you want to practice that for fun um, at home. Now, I wonder how sensitive you are about your age. We often uh, hear this phrase, don't we, about you must never ask a lady's age. So I respect that. Just ask them how much they weigh. No, I don't. No, that would be very insensitive. But I, I, I wonder, I'm getting a look from the back there. No, she said, don't do that. Don't do that. I wonder how sensitive you are about your age. Well, we read this in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. So that gets us off the hook, doesn't it? I can actually say to anybody in the church now, I kind of feel, well, you're pretty old, aren't you? You're getting on a bit. Oh, I'm quoting scripture. (laughs) But what's interesting is the other half of the verse, isn't it? That there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. God flags up to Joshua that he is aware of his age, but also that there is still a work for him. If there isn't a work for any of us, then why are we here? God can just take us, can't he? Just like that. Therefore, if you're here, if you've got breath in your nostrils, there is a purpose and a plan and a work for you to do. It strikes me there's a bit of a tension there as we seek to discern uh, what it is that God might be saying to us as we grow older. And of course, that's kind of all relative, really, isn't it, in terms of what is or isn't old. But you can appropriate this for you in your own journey with regards to where you're at. There are times where God is saying to us, look, in terms of where you're at in your life journey, who is it that you can be passing the baton on to? Who is it that you can be drawing in to do that which you are doing? So that if you drop dead tomorrow, or if over the next five years, ten years, you are no more, that ministry, that work is not going to disappear because it was all about you. Actually, it's going to continue because it's part of my work. Or are there things that God is saying, I've got this for you. There's still areas of land for you. 
I thought it was great having a conversation with, uh, with John and Val, and I hope that they won't mind me saying they're over 21. We have a new ministry here that we're calling Songs of Praise. It's going to be once a month. Um, it's the initiative, actually, of the, uh, uh, the nursing home at Castleview. We've got the manager here today, Ash, uh, which is great. So a good little plug there for Castleview. Uh, but this is a new ministry. And in terms of that happening once a month on a Friday, and what, how that might uh, look and what that would, might entail, it's a great opportunity. So I spoke with John and Val about that, and we chatted it through. They threw their ideas and thoughts in, which were all brilliant, I have to say. How brilliant that somebody's thinking, yeah, this is a new ministry, but we think this is what God is wanting for us to do. As opposed to, well, Roger, I'm afraid we're over such and such an age, so whatever the question, the answer is no. It's pretty sad when I every now and then hear a phrase, you know, I've done my bit, and I've handed it out, it's time for the younger... Really? Well, that may well be true in a whole host of areas, but not in everything. Because if we're saying it's in everything, we're saying, you know, I'm redundant. I'm actually here by accident. God has no purpose or plan for me. Would you say that? Probably not. So if you say yes, my question would be, so what is it? And I think particularly this is relevant for those more senior in age. Because this was, was actually directed at Joshua in his old age. Whatever that age may well have been. I'll leave that with you to pray through. Chapter 13 then details the division of the land. There are more names, more places mentioned. And the beginning of chapter 14 considers, uh, c- uh, continues much the same. Starts with names and places relating to the sharing out of the land on the western side of the Jordan River as Israel's inheritance. Then the two and a half tribes that were already settled on the east of the Jordan and the half tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, that's the son- sons of Joseph, uh, and we then get a man called Caleb. Anybody heard of a guy called Caleb? Great guy. A great guy. Caleb knew what he wanted. Two incidents are written in scripture specifically about Caleb. Uh, and uh, he quickly became a, a favourite character of mine after I became a Christian at age 19 <laughs> About 15 or so years ago now. And when, when that occurred, I don't know how I stumbled across as a new, uh, as a new Christian this, this passage. It's not an automatic passage that you would uh, stumble across. I guess I was pretty enthusiastic back in the day. Came across this particular uh, passage. And in terms of one of the things that Caleb said, which we'll come, come back to. I can remember covenanting with God. I want to be that man. Whether it's 85 or whatever old age is, I want to be able to say, God, what Caleb says in chapter 14. And I challenge you to say the same. It doesn't matter if you're older or younger than 85. But there's an opportunity to covenant something with God in the same way as Caleb did before his God. The first account of Caleb is in Numbers chapter 13. You may well know it, you may well not. When he was already the recognised leader of his tribe, the tribe of Judah, it's the largest of the 12, uh, of the 12 tribes, the Israelites stood at the, uh, at the um, threshold of the promised land. Twelve leaders of Israel, one from each of the tribes, were then chosen to scout out uh, the land in preparation for the Hebrew invasion. Ten of those twelve, reported to Moses that the land was full of giants. This is going to be too difficult and there was no way we could take possession of the land. They saw 
and they concluded what they believed was from God based on what they saw alone. Two others believed that God was on their side and that no goal was beyond their grasp. You can read about it in Numbers 30, 13, verse 30. One of those two was Joshua, that we've been following through week by week. The other was this guy called Caleb. The ten faithless spies measured the giants against their own strength, but Joshua and Caleb measured the spies against God's strength. What an important difference. Whatever your giant is that you may well be facing, and what God is saying to you in that, is your judgment and your decision based on the size of the giant, the size of the issue, or the size of your God to work in you and through you against that? Got two different types of people. And there's a faith response, isn't there, in that uh, regard. When it comes to faith, is our focus on the size of our God or on the size of the issue and of the problem? And we each have to face that kind of, of question. Which is why, although some of the stuff way back we might not fully understand, the principles that come through with us being a people of faith are smack bang on being very real and relevant for each and every one of us. And then we got this second incident that Val uh, read to us in connection with Caleb. This is now 45 years later. So there's all that stuff way back. And now here is this man who was kind of like a young man-ish, age 40. But he is now 85 years of age. God's people are now in the promised land. Caleb, age 85, said to Joshua, God promised that Hebron belonged to me. And now I want that mountain. I want that which was promised way back because of the faith that I shown. What then can we discern from this passage? What might God be saying to us? Here's the first thing that struck me. There can be seasons of judgment for God's people. Don't think about end times judgment. There can be seasons of judgment for God's people. That's what occurred here. Well, what happened in the bit between Caleb being 40 and Caleb being 85? Judgment of God. That's why they weren't able to enter into that promised land. That's a warning for us as God's people. 45 years before God's people had listened to and followed the negative report of the 10 spies. The majority were listened to. The majority got it wrong. Because their response was not of God. It was purely from themselves and based on that which they saw as being the barrier and the hindrance. And what their automatic response was in terms of a right decision. God judged them for it. It's there in scripture. The unbelief which had spread throughout the camp resulted in disunity and rebellion. Often that's the outcome where where fear and unbelief kind of combine together. If we have as an outcome disunity, anger and a bitter spirit, and that's the outcome of actions taken, that cannot be of God, can it? Is that your understanding of the way that God works? It's not mine. We need to be very careful in terms of us discerning what's right from wrong or what is of God or what isn't of God. By their fruit you will know them was what Jesus said. God judges his people here for getting it wrong. 
It was the cause of Israel's years of wandering in the wilderness. God would not allow that generation of unbelief to enter into the promised land. So he waited for them to die in the desert. You can read about it in Numbers 14, verses 26 to 38. That negativity that spreads always needs to be challenged. But another application that's very much more obvious is what I've probably already alluded to, is that you're never too old. You are never too old. Caleb calls Joshua back to the promise Moses made in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 35 and 36. When Caleb says that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly uh, in verse 8, he isn't being proud at all. He's actually quoting what Moses said about him. So it's not that he's waving a flag pointing to himself at all. Though he's now advanced in age, his strength, spiritually speaking, is undiminished. Now, we know our bodies get weaker with age. Some of us are uh, are more acutely aware of that than than others. And there's no fun in that, is there, whatsoever. But what about in terms of where we are in our walk with God? In terms of our strength with God? Aged 85, here was a man who was still out leading the fight against the Anakim. And that's a a huge... um, uh, difficult army to go against. We'll think about them uh, later on this evening. And he says, I am as strong today as I was back then. That was the phrase that hit me like a train, age 19. Saying, God, I want to be able to say that when I'm older in years. I don't want to just be here for, for a month or a year or whatever in terms of this newfound faith that I've discovered and a decision to follow Jesus, age 19. I don't want to get caught up in loads of other stuff. I want to be able to stay in the future. God, I'm as kind of on fire and as strong for you now as I was back then. I'm not going to know if I can say that when that time comes, because I'm not old yet. What is your covenant that you can make with God? Now, in case there's uh, maybe a few who are 85 and you think, oh, Hugh, I've got this, I'm okay. What about another covenant? For when you're 90, or when you're 95, or when you're on your deathbed. It's quite sad when Christians have a sad end, and their faith seems to go all pear-shaped. And that strength that they had spiritually, and the way they were looked up to, suddenly that faith doesn't seem to be there, or they don't seem to be as strong anymore. Because they're all focused on what their giant is as they're approaching death. God, may that not be me. May it be that your prayer is, God, may that not be me either. Make that covenant. Only you can do that. You can't be forced into it or cajoled. When I read that as a young Christian, I can remember saying, I want to be able to say that when I'm 85 or whatever. What a role model for how to approach old age. We've had some, uh, some older people here that I've grown to know and to love over the 15 years that I've been here. And without embarrassing those individuals from time to time, I thought, I want to have that element of faith and strength and reality and fire and passion of God when I get to their age, if I get to their age. If I don't get to their age, well, that's okay. Win-win. I'm going to go straight to glory. No problem. That's the easy way. But if I don't, but if I do get to their age, I hope I've got what they've got. Do you know some people like that? If you know people like that, spend time with them. Get them to pray for you. Those people that when you look in their eyes, you can see something of Jesus. Those people that when you're unsure what to do, they just seem to have a right word. Not a massive sermon, but a word in season. 
Those people who are able to listen do nothing else and yet you feel completely understood and comprehended and accepted. You think, what is it about being in the presence of that person? Look out for those people. Build a relationship with them around you. There's so much that many people have to offer. Here was Caleb, his hunger and his desire intact. He doesn't just leave the work to someone else because of his age, though he could have done. I have to ask, what about you? Regardless of age, what about you? We had someone come into, uh, into membership uh, at our members meeting. We embarrassed them with their, uh, with their name. It was great to, to welcome them, which was brilliant. And as they were sharing about reasons for joining the church and stuff like that, they said, oh, I'm coming up to uh, retirement. And that'll be great because when I'm not working then on those four days, it'd be great to just think of what new ways I can serve the Lord, where I can get involved in the church. Wow. That is a heart for God. That is somebody that we want to have as a part of this church, is it not? And if you're unsure about what it is that God might be saying to you, or you're one of those that may well be thinking, well, I know there's nothing for me to do here, challenge me for seven days, and I guarantee at the end of seven days there'll be a work and a ministry and a place and a role for you. There you go. There's the gauntlet that I just chucked out. Because I have to see that which God is seeing, that there is a plan and a purpose that he has for your life. Yeah? Finally, and with this, we'll, uh, we'll end. God always confirms his word. God always confirms his word. just want to read a few uh, verses that are relating to Caleb so that we can get the gist as to what was going on uh, here. So chapter 14 and verse 12. We've already had read to us where Caleb says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me at that day. Now that sounds, at first glance, we don't know anything else, a bit kind of arrogant, doesn't it? But we need to go back. So we're going to do that. We're going to go back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. Where the Lord says, well, no one who's treated me uh, with contempt will ever see uh, this promised land. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. He was aware of that word. So he's, been, he's going back to, be, to remind uh, folks as to what God had already said. There would be already been a promise way back. And then in the beginning of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good I swore to give to your forefathers, except Caleb. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on. Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You're getting the drift as to what uh, Caleb was picking up on. And then we see in chapter 14 and verse 2, that's exactly then the beginning of the journey of what then God is going to do with Caleb. It's a beautiful journey that ends the concluding verse, and we'll look at this maybe the whole chapter, or probably touch on next week, chapter 15 and verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua 
gave to Caleb a portion of Judah, etc., etc. That is Hebron, that mountain. Hence our title this morning, about the mountain that was his. It was all way back as a result of what God had said and what God had promised. And that was therefore why Caleb could be so strong in God, because he knew what he had coming to him. God had promised. Caleb had remembered. God overruled the casting of lots. Joshua affirmed. How is it that we are to discern the voice of God? What is it that God has maybe been saying to you? Maybe there's something he said to you this morning. Maybe there's something new. Maybe there's something to lay down. Let's just um, be slow to make a flippant decision. When we're uh, discerning the voice of God, that very rarely, it strikes me, comes through one person in one way, in one opportunity. God is God, so if that's the way he wants to communicate, great. Usually, God confirms his word through a different passage of scripture that you may well read. And the words come out into 3D off the page. Or you hear a particular message preached and you think, I felt as if I was the only person there for those few minutes. Because that's my situation. And God spoke to me in that. Or you're chatting through your situation with somebody else. And they seem to say exactly what it is that you need to hear. Or maybe circumstantially, you've been wondering what's going to occur. And you've been giving that over to God. And if it's this and if it's that... And then circumstances tend to kind of fall out in a particular way where you've then got the clarity of thought to be able to see what God might be saying. Take each of those occasions as being a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. Because the more pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that we receive, the clearer we get to see the whole picture. And then when we've got a few of these pieces, seek out the counsel of somebody that you know, love and trust in God. And say, you know what, I'm just wrestling with this. I've got a hunch what God might be saying. Da, 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 da. What do you think? And if you are that person who is asked your opinion, don't just say what you think that person is wanting to hear. Because you're afraid of being honest. That's pretty pathetic. God's word speaks about there being, uh, and I, I meant to have the verse, and, and I've not got it, speaks to us about it's only a true friend that is really honest to us about what they might see, about what God is saying or not uh, saying. I've had to say that to different people at different times. I think God's saying this, 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 and this. Actually, I don't. Because of your circumstance, or because maybe uh, of something else you're involved in, or because of the way I may well see somebody else's gifts. And by all means, you follow through what it is that you feel God is saying. And I'm not infallible, but this would be what I might see. I'm being honest. And that is so important if anybody asked you to throw in your opinion. Verse 12, we've got that. Um, a great verse that we'll end with. Give me this hill country, Caleb said, that the Lord promised me. The Lord promised. The Lord promised. Here is a man who learned to trust in the promises of God and stake his whole future upon them. God would have spoken to you about maybe your eternal salvation or maybe an area of work or ministry. If the Lord has promised or spoken to you, hang on to that. Regardless of the negative stuff that might come your way or the battles or that kind of dip on the roller coaster ride, the bumps and bruises, because it's going to come. That doesn't mean to say that God has changed his mind. 
he is faithful. That what he has said and spoken will occur. We haven't got a clue when, have we? In the book of Philippians, the first chapter, we read there that that which God has started in you, he will carry on to completion. There's a sense of assurance, isn't there? I trust that however wobbly you may well feel in that roller coaster ride of life right now, your trust in the fact that what God has already done in you and has started in you and is pursuing in you or has said to you, it will occur, it will happen. Because he's God and we're not. Our response is simply to say, okay, I trust you. I trust you. And if there is anyone here who doesn't know whether or not you've made that decision to trust this God who made you and who loves you as if you're the only person that he'd ever made, my encouragement would be that you trust his word, which is this. If anyone confesses their sin, God is faithful and judge, and he will forgive all your sin. Wow. We're encouraged to look to the person of Jesus Christ, who gave his whole life as punishment for the sin of the world. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it was said about this Jesus. So all that stuff that we may well sometimes feel that we deserve to be punished for, and we feel so guilty, it's so rotten. Jesus said, I can punish for that. You can be set free. scot free. So long as you trust that which I have already done for you. Trust my word. Trust my word. Then we can know forgiveness from the past. Fresh start. A purpose in the present. And like Caleb, hope for the future. Yes, isn't that good news? Come on. It is church. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you that there is nothing like your word that is so powerful to deal with all the grot and all the rubbish from our past. Stuff that we've done, said, thought. We make mess after mess. And we say, God, would you forgive us for coming to that place again? But God, we also want to say thank you that you stepped into history. And through Jesus, your son, said there's a way that all that stuff could be dealt with. And this Jesus then willingly, of himself, said, I'm I'm willing to take all of that stuff that you should put upon myself. He was the perfect who gave his life for the imperfect. God, help us to trust in this Jesus, to take that step of faith, maybe for the first time today. Jesus, we want to say thank you for everything that you did that enabled everything that's unhealthy and unwholesome to be wiped out. We commit ourselves to you afresh. Believing that that which you've spoken will occur. Believing that you still, while we have breath in our nostrils, have a plan and purpose for us right now, regardless of age. And believing that the best is yet to come. For me to live is Christ, said Paul. But to die is gain. That is win-win. It's only a win-win if we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Give us the courage and your grace and help to do just that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.